0: was quite expensive for us to be able to do that, and I want to thank many of you who gave generously and who helped us to be able to do that, and the church that helped us as well. Even our chiropractor, when Vicky told her she was gone, wrote us a check to help with the with the trip and with the expenses, and so we're very thankful for that. Most of all, we're thankful that the Lord led us to the place where we went. Uh, the hospital was called, called the Oasis of Hope, and uh, the Lord worked out many challenges in our getting there. We met people from all over the world. There were people there from British Columbia. There was a man there from his wife was, in, was there for three months in, uh, uh, from Italy. There were people, there was a young lady whose husband was there from Iran. Uh, there were people, of course, from the United States and just all over the, the uh, country and all over the world that come there for treatment. And uh, we're very, very thankful for the opportunity to be there. And I want to say thanks to Brother Craig for the great job that he did in filling in for me. Keeping everything in order and keeping all of you in line, that's a big uh, challenge for him. And I also appreciate the guys who filled in for me, Brother Craig and Brother Clint and Dr. Keene, Brother Ken Haney, Max Reisinger, and Jim Herman. All of them did an excellent job, but we got to watch the live stream of all the services, and that was certainly a blessing i got to get the guys back there on live stream to get this camera to lean over this way because I couldn't tell who was in this section. All the rest of you I could keep an eye on, but this section over here was hiding from me. So uh, we'll, we'll work on that. But uh, all of them did an excellent job. I appreciate Ed Reisinger and Bob Adams filling in my, in my Sunday school class and uh, just the great job that they did. The Oasis of Hope was started by Dr. Contreras, by his father, about 45 years ago. And now his son carries on the work there. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Contreras, who is the main doctor there, many many other doctors there as well, but, but he loves the Lord. He preached two of the, of the three Sunday mornings that we were there. They actually have a church right there at the hospital. They also have a pastor, Pastor Ernesto, who, who every morning at 10 o'clock had devotions for us in the treatment room. And uh, the, uh, it was just a, a blessing to see the, the spirit of Christ in that hospital and to see the Lord work uh, there. We're thankful for that. I also want to thank Denise Helton for taking us to the airport and picking us up, and uh, Robin Reisinger and Gail Conley and some of those that helped did some surprise decorating and painting of our condo for Vicky while we were gone, and they did a great job, and we appreciate that very, very much. And uh, then uh, we we got there at, it, uh, we flew into San Diego, and then we went down. It was about a, probably took us an hour and a half maybe to get to to Tijuana. It's about a 45-minute drive, but you got to cross the border and all that sort of thing. Then we had to come back to San Diego for a PET scan, and uh, then each day Vicky would have IV infusions that took her several hours. She'd have IV infusions of vitamin C, vitamin K, vitamin B17, which is laetrile, and then she had several times what's called ozone treatment, where they actually take a unit of her blood out of her. They infuse it with oxygen because cancer hates oxygen. Then they put that same blood back into her all in about a period of an hour's time. Then she had her her favorite was the hyperthermia therapy. It was like a spaceship they put her in. Just her head was sticking out, and she had to get into two actually there were two plastic suits that she got into, and it raised her body temperature to 107 degrees. It acted much like a fever does. When you're sick and you get a fever, that high temperature kills the bacteria in your blood, and that helps to kill kill the cancer. But she had a cool fan blowing on her face, and when she got out, the first thing they gave her was a popsicle, so that was exciting to get that and uh, to get out of the the cocoon or the, the spaceship that she was in. And then they also took some of her blood, and from that blood, everybody has cancer cells in their body. When your immune system fails to destroy those, then you develop cancer. So they take part of her blood, they pull off those cancer-killing cells, and then develop their own vaccine for cancer. And so they did that, and she had three different days every other day. The last week we were there, she got the the vaccine for cancer that was made from her own blood, and... uh, then when we will be home for three months and she'll take some, some various medications and so forth and we'll go back for eight days and they'll do the vaccine again, get a booster for the vaccine. And so we're, we're excited. They feel like they can treat her, not have to do any surgery. And uh, we're very excited about that. We met a couple while we were there of all places from union, Kentucky. They were there. We became good friends and we'll get together after they get back and, uh, The lady, the wife, Phyllis, her her, uh, uh, husband had passed away, and she's remarried, but her previous husband was a pastor uh, from Britain. And um, just a good couple, and we're thankful for the help that they were to us. Vicki's doing well. She's just a little bit weak, and uh, so continue to pray for her. And again, we're very grateful that the Lord led us there. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for allowing me to go with her and be with her during that time and it was a good resting time for me because I didn't have all the other things to do at the same time and and we have a good staff and good people here that I could just rest that everything was taken care of and and very thankful for all of you I was thinking about this passage in the book of Daniel and about decisions that we make and we probably won't finish all of this this morning but we'll finish it up tonight so you won't panic if I don't get through more than just the introduction this morning but uh <clears throat> thinking about the decisions that we make. We all have decisions to make in our lives. We made a decision, Vicky and I did a lot of research, a lot of praying, as to go to Mexico for the treatment there. And it's amazing, uh, Dr. Contreras there has spoken on, on a number of the TV stations in America and um, on the different uh, shows, and, and, and the people there don't understand why they don't do in America what they do down there. And yet, because of our control and pharmace- pharmaceuticals and pharmacy companies and all of that, and we could get into a, to a whole ordeal over that. But we make decisions. You make decisions every day of your life. You made a decision to be here this morning. Or somebody made that decision for you. In the case of some of you, you might be here because you had to come. I've said oftentimes when I was growing up, when I was a kid, I had a drug problem. My dad and mom drug me to church Sunday morning, and they drug me to church Sunday night, and they drug me to church Wednesday night. But they didn't really have to drag me because I always loved to go, and, and uh, I'm thankful for that privilege and for that heritage. But we make decisions. We make decisions about what we eat. We make decisions about what we drink. We make decisions about uh, all kinds of things. Get in the car, drive down the road, you make decisions doctor Contreras said to us, "I'm not sure where he got his figures, but he said the average American takes in 600 pounds of sugar a year." I, I looked and Googled it, and my on Google search it said 100 and, I forget what it was, 156 pounds. So, I don't know, his 600 and 100 somewhere in between there. We eat a lot of sugar. We are all addicts. It's in everything, and uh, we learned that because cancer loves sugar, it feeds on it, and it hates oxygen, and that's why they oxygenate the blood. We make decisions. Here in the book of Daniel, and I got to thinking about even with Memorial Day, we remember the men and women who gave their lives for our country, they made a decision, didn't they? Decision to, to be in the military, decision to go to war, a decision to risk their lives. And we make decisions. And I want us to think about Daniel and some of the decisions he made and some of the decisions that we need to make in our lives. Here in this book of Daniel, it has one of the most unusual biographies in all of the Bible. Three times, Daniel is called greatly beloved by God. How would you like to have God write about you and say greatly beloved? You know, the honest truth is we are greatly beloved, aren't we? Amen? We are made accepted, the Bible says, in the beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're accepted of Him. Here's a man, Daniel, that spent almost his entire career, from the time he's a teenager until he was a very old man, in public positions of authority and influence. And yet, there's not one record of anything against Daniel. Nothing bad about Daniel that is said, It is only God in our life that enables us to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord and that is above reproach. Amen? Every one of us would say we need God's help to live that kind of life, don't we? We need His strength and His help. There are two sins that cause Judah to be carried away into captivity, and that's where Daniel is here in chapter 1. He's in captivity. He's been taken away from his hometown, from his own people, And there are two sins that caused Judah to be carried away into captivity. The first sin was disobedience to the word of God. Disobedience to the word of God. Whether we realize it or not, when we choose to disobey God's word, there are always consequences that come as a result of it. God had told the people of Israel to give their land a Sabbath rest every seven years. Just like the Lord worked six days and on Saturday, the Sabbath, he did what? He rested, didn't he? And God taught them to take the land, and every seventh year the land was to rest. That's one of the problems we have in America and around the world today. Our soil is depleted of many of the nutrients and minerals that we need. They have to constantly be putting them back in, and it's because we've gotten away from that rest of the land. They disobeyed, and they ignored God's word for 490 years. And God said to the people, you cannot disobey my word and get away with it. And again, that's still true today, isn't it? You can't ignore and disobey the word of God and get away with it. So God sent them into captivity. 490 years is 70 Sabbath years. 70 years of rest that they had ignored. And so God sent them into captivity for guess what? 70 years. 70 years. You can't disobey God's word and get away with it. They were in captivity. They were in bondage. By the way, some of us are in bondage today. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still in bondage to your sin. Some are in bondage to their uh, debt, enormous debts that we build up, and we become, the Bible says, the servant to the lender. Some are in bondage to cigarettes and pornography. Some are in bondage, as I said, to sugar. We're probably all all somewhat in, in bondage to that. But they were in bondage because they disobeyed the word of God. There's a second reason why God allowed them to be taken into captivity. And that is because they departed from the worship of God. The departure from the worship of God. They found a strange fascination with the idols of the pagan nations around which they were in captivity. In other words, the world around them. And isn't it interesting, even today, Christians, we who know the Lord... Oftentimes, if we aren't careful, we can become infatuated with the world around us and honor the world more than we honor the true and the living God. The God that took them back to Babylon, which was the source of their idolatry that they had turned to for 70 years until they became literally sick of their idol worship, God put them in the land of Babylon so that they would learn to hate the false gods, and the idols, and love the true and the living God. To this day, the Jewish people are monotheistic people. They worship one God. They worship Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Now, Daniel and his friends were in this strange country of Babylon, and they were the finest young people of the nation. They were the finest young people that they could find among their their ones who had been taken captive. The king wanted to totally change them and prepare them for per public service in Babylon. And again, I want to say that <clears throat> excuse me, they face some of the same problems that our young people face today. The world today wants to change our young people and change us as adults to become like the world. You remember what James said in chapter 1? He said, pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction... And to keep himself unspotted from the world. The world wants us to become like them. You know why? Because when you live for God and you live a godly Christian life. And I'm not talking about perfect. None of us are perfect. Amen? Thank you. None of us are perfect. I'm not talking about perfect. But I'm talking about living a godly life. When you live a godly life, people who are not living that way are uncomfortable around you. It's called conviction. They're convicted by the way they live. And the greater the difference from you and the world, the greater the conviction is going to be in their life when they're around you. So what does the world want to do? The world wants you and me to become spotted by the world. If we do the things they do, then there's no conviction anymore. See, here's the the Christian, and here's the world. And I've said this many times. We've decided that we're going to be separated from the world. Amen? But what has happened over the years is the world has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. And we've stayed the same distance from the world. But if you notice now, we're worse off than the world was over over here. And so we have become separated, and we have become distanced from the world. And so we need to make sure that this is the way it ought to be. Here's the child of God and here's the world and this is what ought to happen. As the world gets worse and worse, we stay faithful to God and the distant difference becomes a greater distance than before. And the greater the distance, the greater the conviction in their lives. And so they purposed here in Daniel to conform these young people to the world. They wanted them to become like Babylon, in which they lived. Every young person faces a threefold crisis in their life today. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you know those verses. The Apostle Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, we are either transformed or we will be conformed. When we get saved, we're transformed by the power of God, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God transforms us. He changes us. Makes us a different person. But if we're not transformed, we become conformed. We become like the world around us and live like they do and act like they do. Picture Daniel and his friends, if you will, as they go to the University of Babylon with a three-year educational program and indoctrinational program that was planned for them. And it's the same thing that's true today. Again, our colleges, our state colleges and universities are indoctrinating our young people into the world. They want to brainwash them, if you please, to think the way that they think and to act the way that they act. And here's a classic picture in Daniel chapter 1 of brainwashing. We've read about men that underwent brainwashing who were prisoners of war during the Korean War, North Korea, men who were captured there. They would take loudspeakers and they would install them in the, in the prison at nighttime and day and night they would bombard them with the political philosophies of communism. It was pounded at them. They were trying to conform them into their way of thinking. They wanted to change their political outlook. Suppose we have anybody bombarding us today who wants to change our political outlook? And it's not just the prisoners of war. In some senses, we're all prisoners of war. We turn on that TV and we get bombarded with the philosophies of the world. Could I tell you this morning that the original brainwasher is the devil? And his purpose is to get you and me, and especially our young people, to believe his lies instead of believing God's truth. The devil wants us to swallow his lies. And so young people, as well as adults, but specifically young people, face three crises, a threefold crisis in our world today. First of all, there's an authority crisis. Who are we going to believe, God or the devil? Look at verse number four with me. He says, children in whom was no blemish, this is talking about Daniel, they chose out the best men. children in whom was no blemish, but well favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. You see, they wanted to take these men and teach them the learning and the tongue, the language of the Chaldeans. The devil wants to change us on the inside, how we think and the way we act, to think that our authority in this life is the devil. We understand as believers our authority is God and the Word of God. Amen? But the devil wants to change that. You know, sometimes it's easier to say no to the devil than it is to say yes to God. That's why the Lord said, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Sometimes we can say, no, I won't go to the bar and I won't get drunk, but we can't say, yes, I'll sing in the choir or I'll work on a bus route or I'll go soul winning and witness for the Lord. Sometimes it's tough. God wants us to be living sacrifices for Him. There's an authority crisis. Are we going to believe God or are we going to believe the devil? They were subjected to the academic and philosophical, religious ideas of the day, the godless civilization in which they were put. They were taught pagan philosophies and evolutionary theories. They were taught astronomy. They were taught astrology in which the Babylonians excelled. These teachings were in direct opposition to the Bible and the truths that they had been taught back at home. You see, there's always an authority crisis. Our young people sometimes go off to state colleges and they're taught all kinds of things that challenge the authority of the Word of God. And that's why it's so important that they're grounded in the Word word of God, first of all, and secondly, that we do what Proverbs or Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't put yourself in the counsel of the ungodly people of the world in which we live. And the teachings that they were giving to Daniel and these men, they didn't have any choice. They were taken captive, but they were in direct opposition to the Bible and to what they had been taught in their home. There's always an authority crisis. Walk into a classroom of many of our colleges, and all too often the professor's goal is to shake the faith of the students from their Christian faith. Somehow change the source of authority that they came with. Change the authority in their lives. Remove them from the word of God and get them to learn the theories of men. And we see young people in our world who have swallowed those theories, those theories hook, line, and sinker. And then not only is there authority crisis, but secondly there's a morality crisis. There's a morality crisis. Will we follow the devil's theories or will we follow God's truth? You have a choice to make. You have a decision. Am I going to follow the devil's theories, or am I going to follow God's truth? Look at verse number 5. It says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine, which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, I'll say a little bit more later on about the king's meat and the wine. There's a reason why they refused that. We'll see that a little bit later on. I don't want to jump ahead. But they made a choice. We're not going to follow the world's philosophies of the king. We're going to follow the principles of God's Word. You see, the devil wants to change our appetite. If you're saved, what does Peter say to us? As newborn babes desire what? Sincere milk of the Word. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an appetite for the Word of God? I was talking to a man while we were down in Mexico. And he would tell me about them changing churches. And he said, the church that we went to had too much of an emphasis on the Bible. I thought, hmm, that's a pretty good testimony for a church to have. Amen? They thought that we ought to read our Bible every day. I thought, that sounds pretty good to me too. What kind of appetite do you have? You know, we can sit down and watch hours and hours of TV, but we struggle to spend ten minutes reading our Bible. And I know all of you don't have the same amount of time. I understand that. All of us don't read at the same speed. Some people can consume large portions. Other people, you're just glad to get one verse and and understand what it means. While we were down in Mexico, I had the opportunity to spend some time reading. And I finished up my second time through the Bible this year. uh, My goal is to read through the Bible every two months. Well, this is first month I made it just a little past two months. Second month a little bit further back. So in five months, i made it through my second time of reading through the Bible. But not everybody can do that. Brother Willett, when he was here in revival last year, told us he reads through his Bible every month. And some of you, you'd have a heart attack if you had to read through your Bible every month. You'd be in... Anyway, I just want to ask you, do you have any appetite at all for the Word of God? As newborn babes desire this, like the little baby desires that milk, God says we should have a desire. The devil wants to change our appetite. He wants to develop in us appetites for the things of the world instead of for the things of God. We're subject to constant brainwashing through the media, through the books that we read, through television, through videos, through billboards, through the internet, through our computers. We face constant attempts to give us appetites for the immoral ways of the world. And the world would love us to think that everybody's doing it and so it must be okay for me to do it as well. The purpose is given in the last part of verse number 5 when he says that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. At the end they were going to stand before the king. Now here's the problem. The problem was that was the wrong king. Amen? That was the wrong king. We must make up our minds which king we're going to stand before. One day we're going to stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords. And we want to have a good report when we stand before him. Some time ago, I read a story about a man who had one of these sandwich signs. You know how they, they, they have straps over their shoulder, have a board in front and board in back, and much like some of the picketers and demonstrators do today. And on the front side of his board, it said, I am a fool for Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you would be willing to wear that sign, But he said, I'm a fool for Jesus. And people would look at it and they would laugh at him and make fun. And then they would see the backside of his sign, and the backside it said, Whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? You see, we have to decide which king we're serving. This was the wrong king. The right king is the king of kings and the lord of lords. So there's an authority crisis, there's a morality crisis. Thirdly, they had an identity crisis. They had an identity crisis. Look at verse 6. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank, Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that they might not defile him. An identity crisis. Will we go with the crowd or will we follow Jesus? Who are we following? The crisis was spiritual. The purpose was to remove these men from any devotion that they had to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the God of the Bible. It's interesting that verse 6 mentions Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It mentions four young men. Obviously, there were a whole lot more that were taken into captivity. Why are none of the others mentioned? Only these four. Could it be that when pressure came, they caved to the world around them? Did they give in to the pressure because they were not willing to pay the price that they would have to pay and so their names are not mentioned in the Word of God. You and I have to make up our mind. Whose side are we on? Whose king are we serving? We can go with the crowd or we can go off into obscurity like these other men did. We can choose to be like Daniel and his three friends and be different. Or we can, be, we can choose to be unknown as far as God is concerned in His Word. I read about a preacher he was telling of the night that he, they had the junior-senior prom when he was in high school. And by the way, I know this is politically incorrect, but I might also say it's Christ, Christian incorrect to some people. But he said, I didn't think as a Christian that it would be a good thing for me to attend the junior-senior prom. I went to the banquet, but when, can, when it came time for the dance, he said, I left. Six teachers met him at the door and tried to stop him and talk him into saying staying, and those six teachers were members of his church. He said, I refused and went out by myself and drove away from that country club where they were having the event. I went to a little square in the town, and he said, as I went there, that was where the young people hung out all the time. There was not a single young person there at all. He said, as I drove up to that square, the devil said to me, you've made a fool of yourself tonight, haven't you? This Jesus business. This living for the Lord. Look at you. You haven't a friend left. But then he said this. He said, but the devil is a liar. I did not hear an audible voice, but it was just as if the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, I tell you what. You stood for me, and I'll stand for you. You've been a friend to me. I'll be a friend to you. And he said, all through the years, I've had a glorious life being a friend of Jesus. And for every friend that I lost, for Jesus' sake, he's given me thousands more in their place. Young people, could I say something to you this morning? Dare to be different. Dare to be different. Dare to be a Daniel. There's a song about that. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to make your purpose known. Be different. Never mind what the crowd says. Never mind what the crowd wants to do. You choose to live for Jesus you attend a class reunion and Vicky and I have done that on a few occasions through the years and you'll find a lot of those that used to laugh at you and make fun of you for being a Christian you'll see many of them living with their third and fourth wives and you'll see their bloated alcoholic faces and you'll be glad 20 years from now that you stood for the Lord Jesus Christ in high school in my high school there were I, w- I went to high school in Wheaton, Maryland, which was the suburbs of Washington, D.C. There were 800 in my graduating class, a big high school. We had our graduation at the University of Maryland at the old Cole Fieldhouse, which I think is torn down now, but we had a awards banquet at the end of the year, and it was on a Wednesday night, and I went with a friend of mine. We went to the banquet, and and when the dinner was over... I left. I told him, I said, I have a prayer meeting at church. i got to be there at 7 o'clock. And I went, left went to the prayer meeting. And I just kind of kidded with him. And I said, if I win anything, you go get it for me. And after church that night, the young people came to my church and they were waiting for me outside because I had received a reward. I was chosen as the DECA Student of the Year for the state of Maryland. And what a testimony. I was so glad that night I chose to leave and go to church. I could have stayed there, and many of them would have never known, but they came because they wanted to bring that award, and they knew where I was. What was kind of interesting is that on Wednesday night in our church, we had on this one whole side windows that looked out towards the sidewalk and the street, and at the end of the service, we had our prayer time, everybody got on their knees to pray, and they said, we are out there waiting for you, and everybody just disappeared. We didn't know where they all went. Make a decision. Choose who you're going to serve and live for the Lord. Evidently, these men had parents who had faith in God. They wanted to give their children names of significance. You can tell a lot about people by what they named their children. There was a time in our country when parents named their children by biblical characters. We had nine kids in our family. We had a a David. We had Daniel. We had me, Timothy. Rebecca, Sarah, John. You know, something about naming your children biblical names. Today, what do we name our children by? Uh, rock stars? Uh, sports personalities? What kind of name do we give to them to live with? Behind the scenes, there was something that was taking place in the lives of these men. There had been a revival in their land. And a young king by the name of Josiah one day found the word of God, and God spoke to his heart through that word, and God brought great revival. It would be like the President of the United States, somebody bringing him a copy of the Bible to the White House. He reads through it, and God speaks to his heart, and he gets saved, and revival comes to his heart. And he goes all across the country telling people about how God changed his life, and God brings revival to America. Now that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? And that's sort of what happened for these young men. God wants us to have revival. We ought to be praying for revival. That's what happened in the days of Josiah under the leadership of the boy king Josiah and preachers like Jeremiah and Micah. They had revival and young people caught on fire for God. Wouldn't you like to see that happen in America? Absolutely, I would revival that would rescue our young people and see them turn to God. The misery and a lot that's going on in this world today and among our young people and adults as well, many of the sins that they struggle with are testimonies of the lives of their parents that have gone before them. Look at the suicide and the alcoholism and the drug addiction and the pornography and all the other things that go along. It. These things are testimonies of our society's sins and our young people are being brainwashed into it. We need an old-fashioned, holy ghost, heaven-sent revival to see our nation turn back to God and to see it sweep over the hearts and lives of our young people by the thousands and see them swept into the kingdom of God and live for God and serve God. And it could happen. Nebuchadnezzar was not content to let these boys have names that reminded him of their faith in God. And so he changed their names. He gave them an identity crisis. Daniel, his name was changed to Belshazzar. Belshazzar means, Bel, protect my life. And then Hananiah, his name was changed to Shadrach, which means, I am fearful of God. Little g, I'm fearful of God, the gods of the world. Meshach, or Mishael, was changed to Meshach. I am despised before my God. Azariah was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, one of the gods. Now let me ask you a question. What names do we remember these men by? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. If I asked you who was Hananiah, who was Mishael, who was Azariah, we don't remember those names. Why? Because the king Nebuchadnezzar was wanting these men to have an de- identity crisis. He wanted to change their names so that he could remove from their minds and hearts anything about the true and the living God. In exchange, they were offered the king's names, and they were offered the king's meat and the king's wine, a place at the king's table. It may be a small thing to give up those old names that they had, but those old names had a meaning to them. and They tied them together with the true and the living God. You see, big decisions are usually built upon a whole lot of little decisions. And when we make those little decisions and those little compromises in our life, it leads to big decisions that will destroy our life. Make up your mind to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Make up your mind who's going to be your king. Make up your mind to pay the price, and someday you'll be glad that you did. And so here were these men, two sins in the nation of Israel. They departed from the word of God, they disobeyed the word of God, and they departed from the worship of God. Many struggle with the same thing today. They had an authority crisis. Who are you going to believe, God or the devil? They had a morality crisis. Will you follow the devil's theories or God's truth? They had an identity crisis. Will you go with the crowd, or will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are you following this morning? Who's the king in your life? The songwriter wrote, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. We must be willing to follow the king of kings. We must be willing to pay the price if necessary, but to stand up against the world and not allow the world to conform us to them. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, What a challenge, what an example these men were in Daniel's day. They purposed not to defile themselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to make a decision in our life that we will purpose, we will not bow to the gods of this world. Whether it's the God of money, the God of sex, the God of Praise and worship. We're not going to bow to the gods of this world. We're going to stand with the true and the living God. Even if it costs us something. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me as we sing our song of invitation?